Hi, this is Peter, and in prior podcasts, I read The Hobbit. And a number of people might be interested in Middle-earth, not only from The Hobbit, but from The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion, and some of the unfinished tales that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. So I thought what would be interesting would be to talk about the formation of the world, and then later about some of the characters who inhabited Middle-earth and some of the races who inhabited Middle-earth. So I'd like to begin with um, a discussion of the formation of the world and the formation of Middle-earth. And for this, we'll turn to the Cimmerillion. And I'd like to read uh, some excerpts from the Cimmerillion and then follow that up in later podcasts with some of Tolkien's influences. Specifically, I'll mention Dante and Milton. But for now, let me read from the Cimmerillion, um, which talks about the formation of the world and Middle-earth. <clears throat> to begin, there was Eru, the one, who in Arda is called Iluvatar, and he made first the Aner, the Holy Ones, that were the offspring of his thought. And they were with him before aught else was made. And he spoke to them, propounding to them themes of music, and they sang before him, and he was glad. But for a long while they sang only each alone, or but few together, while the rest hearkened, for each comprehended only that part of the mind of Iluvatar from which he came, and in the understanding of their brethren they grew but slowly. Yet ever as they listened, they came to deeper understanding and increased in unison and harmony. And it came to pass that Uluvator to called together all the Aner and declared to them a mighty theme, unfolding to them things greater and more wonderful than he had yet revealed. And the glory of its beginning and the splendor of its end amazed the Aner, so that they bowed before Iluvatar and were silent. Then Iluvatar said to them, Of the theme that I have declared to you, I will now that ye make in harmony together a great music. And since I have kindled you with the flame imperishable, ye shall show forth your powers in adorning this theme, each with his own thoughts and devices, if he will. But I will sit and hearken, and be glad that through you great beauty has wakened into song. Then the voices of the Aner, like unto harps and lutes and pipes and trumpets, and viols and organs, and like unto countless choirs singing with words, began to fashion the theme of Iluvatar to a great music. And a sound arose of endless interchanging melodies, woven in harmony, that passed beyond hearing into the depths and into the heights, and the places of the dwelling of Iluvatar were filled to overflowing. And the music and the echo of the music went out into the void, and it was not void. Never since have the Aenor made any music like to this music, though it has been said that a greater still shall be made before Iluvatar by the choirs of the Aenor and the children of Iluvatar after the end of days. Then the themes of Iluvatar shall be played aright and take being in the moment of their utterance, for all shall then understand fully his intent in their part, and each shall know the comprehension of each, and Iluvatar shall give to their thoughts the secret fire, 
being very well pleased. But now Iluvatar sat and hearkened, and for a great while it seemed good to him, for in the music there were no flaws. But as the theme progressed, it came into the heart of Melkor to interweave matters of his own imagining that were not in accord with the theme of Iluvatar, for he sought therein to increase the power and the glory of the part assigned to himself. To Melkor among the Aenor had been given the greatest gifts of power and knowledge, and he had a share in all the gifts of his brethren. He had gone often alone into the void places, seeking the imperishable flame, for desire grew hot within him to bring into being things of his own, and it seemed to him that Iluvatar took no thought for the void, and he was impatient of its emptiness. Yet he found not the fire, for it is with Iluvatar. But being alone, he had begun to conceive thoughts of his own, unlike those of his brethren. Some of these thoughts he now wove into his music, and straightway discord arose about him, and many that sang nigh him grew despondent, and their thought was disturbed, and their music faltered. But some began to attune their music to his rather than to the thought which they had at first. Then the discord of Melkor spread ever wider, and the melodies which had been heard before foundered in a sea of turbulent sound. But Iluvatar sat and hearkened, until it seemed that about his throne there was a raging storm, as of dark waters that made war one upon another in an endless wrath that would not be assuaged. Then Iluvatar arose, and the Aenor perceived that he smiled. And he lifted up his left hand, and a new theme began amid the storm, like and yet unlike to the former theme, and it gathered power and had new beauty. But the discord of Melkor rose in uproar and contended with it, and again there was a war of sound more violent than before, until many of the Aenor were dismayed and sang no longer, and Melkor had the mastery. Then again Iluvatar arose, and the Aenor perceived that his countenance was stern, and he lifted up his right hand, and behold, a third theme grew amid the confusion, and it was unlike the others, for it seemed at first soft and sweet, a mere rippling of gentle sounds and delicate melodies, but it could not be quenched, and it took to itself power and profundity, and it seemed at last that there were two musics progressing at one time before the seat of Iluvatar, and they were utterly at variance. The one was deep and wide and beautiful, but slow and blended with an immeasurable sorrow, from which its beauty chiefly came. The other had now achieved a unity of its own, but it was loud and vain and endlessly repeated, and it had little harmony but rather a clamorous unison as of many trumpets braying upon a few notes, and it essayed to drown the other music by the violence of its voice, but it seemed that its most triumphant notes were taken by the other and woven into its own solemn pattern. In the midst of this strife, whereat the halls of Iluvatar shook and a tremor ran out into the silences yet unmoved, Iluvatar arose a third time, and his face was terrible to behold. Then he raised up both his hands, and in one chord, deeper than the abyss, higher than the firmament, piercing as the light of the eye of Iluvatar, 
the music ceased. Then Uvatar spoke, and he said, Mighty are the Anor, and mightiest among them is Melkor, but that he may know, and all the Anor, that I am Iluvatar, those things that ye have sung I will show them forth, that ye may, ye may see what ye have done. And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful, which he himself hath not imagined. Then the Anor were afraid, and they did not yet comprehend the words that were said to them. And Melkor was filled with shame, of which came secret anger. But Iluvatar arose in splendor, and he went forth from the fair regions that he had made for the Anor, and the Anor followed him. But when they were come into the void, Iluvatar said to them, Behold your music! And he showed to them a vision, giving to them sight, where before was only hearing. And they saw a new world made visible before them, and it was globed amid the void, and it was sustained therein, but was not of it. And as they looked and wondered, this world began to unfold its history, and it seemed to them that it lived and grew. And when the Anor had gazed for a while and were silent, Iluvatar said again, Behold your music. This is your minstrelsy, and each of you shall find contained herein, amid the design that I set before you, all those things which it may seem that he himself devised or added. And thou, Melkor, wilt discover all the secret thoughts of thy mind, and will perceive that they are but a part of the whole and tributary to its glory. And many other things Iluvatar spoke to the Anor at the time, and because of their memory of his words and the knowledge that each has of the, of the music that he himself made, the Anor know much of what was and is and is to come, and few things are unseen by them. Yet some things there are that they cannot see, neither alone nor taking counsel together. For to none but himself has Iluvatar revealed all that he has in store. And in every age there come forth things that are new and have no foretelling, for they do not proceed from the past. And so it was that as this vision of the world was played before them, the Anor saw that it contained things which they had not thought. And they saw with amazement the coming of the children of Iluvatar, and the habitation that was prepared for them. And they perceived that they themselves, in the labor of their music, had been busy with the preparation of this dwelling, and yet knew not that it had any purpose beyond its own beauty. For the children of Iluvatar were conceived by him alone, and they came with the third theme, and were not in the theme which Iluvatar propounded at the beginning and none of the Anor had part in their making. Therefore, when they beheld them, the more did they love them, being things other than themselves, strange and free, wherein they saw the mind of Iluvatar reflected anew, and learned yet a little more of his wisdom, which otherwise had been hidden even from the Anor. Now the children of Iluvatar are elves and men, the firstborn and the followers, and amid all the splendors of the world, 
its vast halls and spaces, and its wheeling fires, Iluvatar chose a place for their habitation in the deeps of time and in the midst of the innumerable stars. And this habitation might seem a little thing to those who consider only the majesty of the Anor and not their terrible sharpness. As who should take the whole field of Arda for the foundation of a pillar and so raise it until the cone of its summit were more bitter than a needle? Or who consider only the immeasurable, immeasurable vastness of the world, which still the Anor are shaping, and not the minute precision to which they shape all things therein? But when the Anor had be beheld this habitation in a vision, and had seen the children of the Iluvatar arise therein, then many of the most mighty among them bent all their thought and their desire towards that place. And of these, Melkor was the chief, even as he was in the beginning the greatest of the Anor who took part in the music. And he feigned, even to himself at first, that he desired to go thither and order all things for the good of the children of Iluvatar, controlling the turmoils of the heat and the cold that had come to pass through him. But he desired rather to subdue to his will both elves and men, envying the gifts which, with which Iluvatar promised to endow them. And he wished himself to have subjects and servants, and to be called Lord, and to be a master over other wills. But the other Anor looked upon this habitation set within the vast spaces of the world, which the elves call Arda, the earth, and their hearts rejoiced in light, and their eyes, beholding many colors, were filled with gladness. But because of the roaring of the sea, they felt a great unquiet, and they observed the winds and the air and the matters of which Arda was made of iron and stone and silver and gold and many substances. But of all these water they most greatly praised. And it is said by the Eldar that in the water there lives yet the echo of the music of the Anor more than in any substance else that is in this earth. And many of the children of Iluvatar hearken, still unsated to the voices of the sea, and yet know not for what they listen. Now to water had the Anu whom the elves call Elmo turned his thought, and of all most deeply was he instructed by Iluvatar in music. But of the airs and winds Manwe most had pondered, who is the noblest of the Anor. Of the fabric of earth had Aule thought, to whom, to whom Iluvatar had given skill and knowledge scarce less than to Melkor. But the, but the delight and pride of Aule is in the deed of making and in the thing made, and neither in possession nor in his own mastery. Wherefore he gives and hoards not and is free from care, passing ever on to some new work. And Iluvatar spoke to Elmo and said, Seest thou now? How here is this little realm in the deeps of time. Melkor hath made war upon thy province. He hath besought him of bitter cold immoderate, and yet hath not destroyed the beauty of thy fountains, nor of thy clear pools. Behold the snow and the cunning work of frost. Melkor hath devised heats and fire without restraint, and hath not dried up thy desire, nor utterly quelled the music of the sea. Behold rather the height and glory of the clouds, 
and the ever-changing mists, and listen to the fall of rain upon the earth. And in these clouds thou art drawn nearer to Manwe, thy friend, whom thou lovest. Then Omo answered, Truly, water has become now fairer than my heart imagined. Neither had my secret thought conceived the snowflake, nor in all my music was contained the falling of the rain. I will, I will seek Manwe, that he and I may make melodies forever to thy delight. And Manwe and Omo have from the beginning been allied, and in all things have served, served most faithfully the purpose of Iluvatar. But even as Omo spoke, and while the Ainur were yet gazing upon this vision, it was taken away and hidden from their sight. And it seemed to them that in that moment they perceived a new thing, darkness, which they had not known before except in thought. But they had become enamored of the beauty of the vision and engrossed in the unfolding of the world which came there to being. And their minds were filled with it, for the history was incomplete and the circles of time not full wrought when the vision was taken away. And some have said that the vision ceased ere the fulfillment of the dominion of men and the fading of the firstborn. Wherefore, though the music is over all, the valor have not seen as with sight the later ages or the ending of the world. Then there was unrest among the Anor, but Iluvatar called to them and said, I know the desire of your minds, that what ye have seen should verily be, not only in your thought, but even as ye yourselves are, and yet other. Therefore I say, Ea, let these things be, and I will send forth into the void the flame imperishable, and it shall be at the heart of the world, and the world shall be, and those of you that will may go down into it. And suddenly the Anor saw, saw afar off a light, as it were a cloud with a living heart of flame, and they knew that this was no vision only, but that Iluvatar had made a new thing, Ea, the world that is. Thus it came to pass that of the Anor, some abode still with Iluvatar before, beyond the confines of the world, but others, and among them may be many of the greatest and most fair, took leave of Iluvatar and descended into it, but this condition Iluvatar made, or it is the, necess the necessity of their love that their power should thenceforth be contained and bounded in the world, to be within it forever until it is complete, so that they are its life and it is theirs, and therefore they are named the Valar, the powers of the world. But when the Valar entered into Ea, they were at first astounded and at a loss, for it was as if naught was yet made which they had seen in vision, and all was but on point to begin, and yet unshaped, and it was dark. For the great music had been but the growth and flowering of thought in the timeless halls, and the vision only of foreshowing. But now they had entered in at the beginning of time, and the valor perceived that the world had been but foreshadowed and foresung, and they must achieve it. So began their great labors in wastes unmeasured and unexplored, and in ages uncounted and forgotten, until in the deeps of time and in the midst of the vast halls of Ea, there came to be that hour and that place where was made the habitation of the children of Iluvatar.
And in this work, the chief part was taken by Manwe and Aule and Omo. But Melkor too was there from the first, and he meddled in all that was done, turning it, if he might, to his own desires and purposes. And he kindled great fires. When therefore earth was yet young and full of flame, Melkor covered it, coveted it. And he said to the other Valar, This shall be my own kingdom, and I name it unto myself. But Manwe was the brother of Melkor in the mind of Ilvatar, and he was the chief instrument of the second theme that Ilvatar had raised up against the discord of Melkor. And he called unto himself many spirits, both greater and less, and they came down into the fields of Arda and aided Manwe, lest Melkor should hinder the fulfillment of their labor forever, and earth should wither ere it flowed. And Manwe said unto Melkor, This kingdom thou shalt now take for thine own, wrongfully, for many others have labored here no less than thou. And there was strife between Melkor and the other Valar, and for that time Melkor withdrew and departed to other regions, and did there what he would, but he did not put the desire of the kingdom of Arda from his heart. Now the Valar took to themselves shape and hue, and because they were drawn into the world by the love of the children of Uvatar, for whom they hoped, they took shape after the manner which they had beheld in the vision of Uvatar, save only in majesty and splendor. Moreover, their shape comes of their knowledge of the visible world, rather than of the world itself, and they need it not, save only as we, we use raiment, and yet we may be naked and suffer no loss of our being. Therefore the Valar may walk, if they will, unclad, and then even the Eldar cannot clearly perceive them, though they be present. But when they desire to clothe themselves, the Valar take upon them forms, some as of male and some as of female, for that differences of temper they even had from the beginning, and it is but bodied forth in the choice of each, not made by the choice, even as with us male and female may be shown by the raiment, but is not made thereby. But the shapes wherein the great ones array themselves are not at all times like to the shapes of the kings and queens of the children of Iluvatar, for at times they may clothe themselves in their own thought, made visible in forms of majesty and dread. And the Valar drew unto them many companions, some less, some well nigh as great as themselves, and they labored together in the ordering of the earth and the curbing of its tumults. Then Melkor saw what was done, and that the Valar walked on earth as powers visible, clad in the raiment of the world, and were lovely and glorious to see and blissful, and that the earth was becoming as a garden for their delight, for its turmoils were subdued. His envy grew then the greater within him, and he also took visible form, but because of his mood and the malice that burned in him, that form was dark and terrible. And he descended upon Varda in power and majesty, greater than any other of the Valar, as a mountain that wades in the sea and has its head above the clouds and is clad in ice and crowned with smoke and fire. And the light of the eyes of Melkor was like a flame that withers with heat and pierces with a deadly cold. 
Thus began the first battle of the Valar with Melkor for the dominion of Arda, and of those tumults that elves know but little. For what has here been declared is come from the Valar themselves, with whom the Eldalie spoke in the land of Valinor, and by whom they were instructed. But little would the Valar ever tell of the wars before the coming of the elves. Yet it is told among the Eldar that the Valar endeavored ever, in despite of Melkor, to rule the earth and to prepare it for the coming of the firstborn. And they built lands, and Melkor destroyed them. Valleys they delved, and Melkor raised them up. Mountains they carved, and Melkor threw them down. Seas they hollowed, and Melkor spilled them. And naught might have peace or come to lasting growth, for as surely as the Valar began a labor, so would Melkor undo it or corrupt it. And yet their labor was not all in vain, and though nowhere and in no work was their will and purpose wholly fulfilled, and all things were in hue and shape other than the Valar had at first intended, slowly, nonetheless, the earth was fashioned and made firm, and thus was the habitation of the children of Iluvatar established at last in the deeps of time, and amidst the innumerable stars. So that's a reading from the Cimmerillion that talks about the creation of the world. And there are several things that I'd like to point out from that reading. The first is that um, Tolkien starts with Eru, the one. Um, and then from there, he adds uh, the Anor, the, uh, um, who were like um, who were created beings by um, Eru, and it's reminiscent to a certain extent of the Christian um, Bible, where God the Father um, created the angels, and the angels, um, at least according to Milton, that we'll talk about later, helped create the world. Um, but Tolkien doesn't take this one for one from Milton. Um, to do that would be to lessen his art. Another thing I'd like to point out is this uh, theory of the creation by song. And in this, Tolkien takes some elements from Dante, um, where Dante talks about um, the, the heavens and how uh, the music in the heavens is creating, is in a sense, sustaining heaven. Um, but again, he doesn't take this directly from Dante. Rather, he, he makes, um, uh, if you will, uh, coordinates or um, uses certain things um, from different, he takes different things from different um, texts and creates something new from them. If he just lifted them up and uh, took, uh, you know, pieces from Dante, from the uh, Bible, and from Milton, it wouldn't really be art. And so, what Tolkien's doing here is creating a world, and he's using um, other myths to inform his creation of the world, but he does it in a unique way. And then the next several podcasts, I will uh, bring back, or I will talk about sections of the Bible, sections of uh, the Paradiso from the Divine Comedy of Dante, and also sections from Paradise Lost by Milton and show how Tolkien used these, um, some of these ideas to develop his own idea of the creation of the world and the creation of Middle-earth. 
In later podcasts, I'll also talk about uh, some of the Aenor, who they were, what they embodied, and how there is a parallel, if you will, with um, angels and archangels in um, other works, specifically in Dante's works. And then I, I'll talk a little bit about um, the, the peoples of Middle-earth, including the Astari, um, or wizards, uh, the elves, men, dwarves, um, orcs, um, trolls, and so on, um, to develop a, a broader picture of um, how Tolkien's vision of Middle-earth expanded over time. In The Hobbit, we saw the first glimpses of Tolkien's conception of Middle-earth, and uh, it was a beginning, if you will, for Tolkien when he was developing his mythology of Middle-earth. And that mythology uh, really gained um, its full fruition in The Lord of the Rings and um, in the Cimmerillion and some of the later tales that Christopher Tolkien put together from notes that um, his father left. So this is um, the end of the first podcast that will talk about the um, beginning of the world and the beginning of Middle-earth. I hope you enjoy it and come back to hear further podcasts regarding um, how Tolkien's influences and then afterwards some of the primary uh, characters in both The Lord of the Rings and The Cimmerillion. Thanks for listening.